Greetings, playtimers old and new. Welcome back to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett, and I'm a child therapist, and I live and I work in Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to children and play therapy, coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And today on Playtime, I wanted to talk about cultivating thoughtfulness in children and... It's something that comes up sometimes if I'm talking to an adult in a child's world and they say that, oh, the child just, you know, they leave their stuff all over the place and they never know where anything is. And if you look at their desk at school, it's full of like papers and other things. I mean, back when kids went to school regularly and then there they like leave their bag on the floor and their their lunch is always in their lunch bag. And people just can't get them to have this kind of thoughtfulness about where they place their things and if they get dirty on different kinds of things, that they're just sort of careless with their bodies or careless with their objects or careless in this way that makes it seem like they're not thoughtful, like they're not paying attention, like they're not able to keep track of things in the material world very well. And shoot, that actually accurately describes uh, myself as a child. I have strong memories of my third grade teacher dumping my desk on the ground and then I was forced to clean it all up in front of the class it was a very unpleasant experience mr smith if you're listening i mean i liked you otherwise but that sucked in particular but all of that to say i could be projecting a little bit of my experience onto these children but it is something that's talked about in terms of a thing that maybe we all believe is important for all of us to cultivate some kind of relationship to to have a relationship to the stuff that's around us to be able to be like present and paying attention to notice how other people are are doing and then maybe be able to be empathetic or support them or give them space or just be able to be like in sync with our environment in such a way where we notice when things are awry or when we're making things awry like i think thoughtfulness is something that I'm sure all of us, or at least most of us, would want to cultivate inside of ourselves. But in child therapy, at least, or maybe in therapy in general, not all of these things can just be gone at directly. As a child therapist, you can't just say to a child, hey, you should be a more thoughtful about x y and z things and that that'll just like magically happen inside of a person so the question becomes then how how does a child i mean how does anyone but let's talk about children how does a child become a person who is more thoughtful than they were previously how is that thoughtfulness developed inside of an individual to the point where it almost comes naturally to that individual to be more thoughtful that they're just relating to the world in a different kind of way than they were previously and something that children do quite a bit lots of children do it in their sessions with me children do it out in their lives in general if you've been around children then you will have seen them do things like this children like to point things out Children like to say, that's a rabbit, that's a tree, that's a squirrel, that's a car. They like to point things out and name things. And they also like to ask questions about things. And they'll ask questions about things that they 
that they can't figure out. So we can see a process inside of that. And that process is the child developing a relationship to the environment that's around them, seeing how all the things in their environment fit together, seeing like what are those things? What's their relationship to those things? How do people use those things? Why do those things exist? What purpose do they serve? Who uses them? What kinds of restrictions are around them? What other kinds of things exist that are like those things? I mean, that's just a small selection of the questions that children can have about their environment. And I think as adults, if you spend a lot of time with children, or if you have children yourself, you've probably gotten annoyed before at the number of questions that a child could be asking about their environment. And there are definitely times when maybe you need to, as an adult, to be focusing on something different or having a conversation or just like having some silence or whatever that looks like. But but there is also truth to the fact that while children are at an age where they're asking a lot of questions, they eventually won't be at an age where they're asking a lot of questions. They'll eventually be at an age where they actually don't want to take adults' advice on the world, where they don't want adults' opinion on how things work, where they're not curious about the different objects in their environment and how the people, the adults who take care of them relate to those objects, they become teenagers, they become adults, they become people who have developed identity around objects and around their relationship to the world, who no longer need someone to orient them, who orient themselves, and it's a gift to be able to spend time with any child who is in a state of noticing and asking about the world around them because it's an important point in time for all of us as people and you know as play therapists you know we're with a child for whatever amount of time you do sessions with children for and we get this beautiful opportunity to join with them in that and when we're joining in in uh, and when we're joining with them in that it may seem like nothing's really happening inside of those moments. I mean, if they're just like, you have three cars in yourself, it's like, oh, yeah, you notice those three cars right there. And they're like, but you don't have any trucks. It's like, ah, yeah. You're thinking maybe a truck would go with those cars, but you're not seeing one. You're like, no, no, I don't see a truck. And it's like, and you have a rope. It's like, ah, yeah, you see the rope. And it may that may seem like we're not doing anything at all. To an outside observer, it's just like, okay, they're naming objects, and then you're naming that they named the object, and then they name another object, and then you're naming that they named that object, and you just keep going in this in this route of following them and on this thing that seems to be leading to nowhere, but it's not leading to nowhere. It does lead to somewhere. And where it leads to in play therapy, a lot of times, is a child's coming in, they take a survey of what's in the room, and eventually they'll get to a point where they maybe feel more comfortable with us and also have more of a relationship to the space. That's kind of what we're talking about here is having that relationship to the space. Although obviously the relationship to the therapist is important too. But when they've gotten the lay of the land and they start heading into imaginative play, they just start using objects in the room and incorporating them into the play. Like they have this inventory in there unconscious of what's around. And then as they're playing and an idea bubbles up to them, then they know where that toy is and they go and get it. Like once once kids start working in the space, they can get imaginative in the space fairly quickly. And whenever I make any changes to a space, whenever a new toy is added or a toy is subtracted or something is missing, they'll often notice and point it out. And they notice and point it out. And then we say, 
what they noticed because we're reaffirming their relationship to the space. We're, we're affirming that they notice that something's different. They've taken in that different thing. And then when they go into that unconscious play, they're aware that that thing isn't there, even though they're not actively thinking about the thing that isn't there. And I do think that even if that sort of following them and tracking them with their naming of objects, with their curiosity about the space, I for one answer children's questions a lot of the time and don't follow the sort of more strict child-centered play therapy format of just letting the child know that they're curious. I mean, I understand the rationale for doing that. I just do something different. And that process, even if it doesn't lead to imaginative play, it does lead them into deeper relationship with the space. It does lead them into them just being curious and open to what's around them, to being aware of what's around them, to taking in what's around them. I think we can forget as adults just how overwhelming and novel the world can feel to children sometimes. Being in a new place can be really scary and intimidating. It takes children longer to get comfortable and to acclimate to new people and new kinds of situations and different kinds of personalities in people. Children have a fear of the novel a lot of times, and that's, by novel I mean new. I mean, I think we can see this even in like a child watching the same movie over and over and over and over again. There's a comfort in it, and big emotions are still going to come up for them while they're watching these things, say their favorite movie. But they know what's coming, and they can prepare themselves for it. They're doing some kind of training for themselves when they're doing something like that. And so if we can think of children as needing some time to acclimate to situations of becoming overwhelmed quickly a lot of the time. And we help them cultivate this ability to build relationship to their space, to keep that awareness muscle flexing, to not getting sucked into whatever emotional place that they can get sucked into that takes them out of the present moment or an anxiety that takes them out of the present moment, like naming objects in a room is its own kind of meditative experience. I mean, if I had done some research, I could have probably found some meditation from some spiritual tradition, maybe some like Zen tradition of like just naming and noticing the objects that are in the space with you. I mean, it's part of certainly the like mindfulness kinds of therapy includes things just like noticing what's around. It's a grounding exercise also for an individual who is having a post-traumatic response where they're having it they can tell that they're having a trauma response and then they can sink back into themselves by naming what's around them like there's a white stool and there's a table and there's a wall and there's a lamp and then you start to get back into the moment back into the moment so when a child's just like naming objects in a room if you're with a kid and they're just asking you lots of questions about their environment it can be easy to dismiss that as superficial If you're a therapist, it can be easy to say like, oh, we should be doing some kind of deep emotional work or something, or we should be like having some kind of imaginative play around their trauma that that like gets into the ickiness or whatever it is. And I think when we're with a child and they just like ask question after question after question, like outside of a therapy session, if you're a parent or something or teacher or something else and you're with children, it can just feel tiring and taxing to be answering these questions again and again and again. But I do believe that that naming of things and those questions, it's grounding for children to be met in that space. And I think that at least For the children I see in therapy, a lot of the children who really are going at it with question after question after question after question 
are sometimes struggling inside emotionally, are sometimes looking for some grounding and are trying that that's their outlet for trying to find it, for trying to reorient to themselves and to trying to reorient to the world. And we can meet them in that space and sink into the awareness of what that is that we're doing. And we're doing something that's on a, on a, on a deeper level, something that's even maybe hard for us to understand. What I'm trying to do here is to get at what we're trying to cultivate when we're being with children in a child-centered way, or what being with children in a child-centered way helps bring out in the child. And even though it can seem superficial, I think answering their questions and witnessing their awareness of the space and their their knowledge and relationship to the objects inside of the space can help cultivate thoughtfulness in children, which leads to children being able to reclaim their imagination. And I started getting at this earlier in the podcast, but I think that a child who is grounded and oriented to their space has an easier time sinking into play, has an easier time sinking into that sort of flexible, dynamic space inside of the play, and then has an easier time getting to this point where at some point it doesn't even matter what toys you have in your, your playroom. You A child can reach a state of play where anything can be literally anything, that you could have a room that's almost empty, of toys, and they would still be able to find what they need to play out, whatever narrative or set of relationships or dynamics or what scenario that has started developing inside of themselves. And, you know, our toys just sort of serve as jumping off points. It marks the space as a play space. We have these toys, which can be these tools for different kinds of play, and we select them to pull out different elements of the human experience and to not have toys that are so uh, rigid in their in their definitions that they they can't be flexible uh, having flexible toys in your room is, is is truly an asset i love having things like rope for example rope serves so many different kinds of functions but to get back to how that grounded space allows children to be inside of a play space i think We've, and we've all seen this before, like if a child is feeling very emotional about something, it takes them out of that play space. It takes them out of being flexible. If a child is feeling upset, they're not, they're not playing. Playing has a certain level of freedom and flow to it that sort of large eruptions of emotion make difficult. And not being oriented to your environment also makes play difficult. And so when we meet children where they're at in terms of them orienting to their environment, I think it can serve both to foster a level of thoughtfulness inside of them and can, and can also lead to them being able to really explore themselves more deeply in play. And those are all the words that are going to come out of my mouth on this episode of Playtime. Thank you so much for listening. Head to patreon.com slash playtimepodcast or the support the show link if you would like to support the show. But it is offered for free. And in the spirit of the gift, like all podcasts, head to barnettchildtherapy.com if you want to see more of my work, including the Child Center Children's Books series. And yeah, I'll catch you all next time. Thank you.